question. How many of you would say you're a better driver than the average Cincinnatian? <laughs> I saw some of this. <laughs> They've done a bunch of studies on this where they ask people this question, are you a better driver than average? How many people do you, what percentage of people do you think say they're a better driver than average? Depending on the study, between 85 and 95% of people say they're better than the average driver. Now that's not how averages work, right? 90% of people can't be better than average. You'd expect to have 50% above average, 50% below average. That's what averages are. Averages is. That's what averages are. If you're a math teacher, do not email me about mean, median, and mode, okay? Focus. So, <laughs> most of us think that we're better than average. This has actually been studied so many times that it has an actual name in like psychological journals. It's called the Lake Wobegon effect. It's named after Garrison Keillor's mythical radio show where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Here's what I notice when I look at this graph. About half of our church, 46%, is in phase two. Now, some of you just got there, right? So you come by it honestly. But some of you have been camped out there for a long time. So if you're stuck, I want to help you get unstuck. Because most of us make two classic blunders when, we start, when it comes to spiritual growth. The first is this. We mistake novelty for growth. The classic blunder we make is we mistake novelty for growth. Novelty is newness. The adult human brain responds to novelty above everything else. That's why you keep scrolling on Facebook, right? It's not making you happy, but it's, it's new. It hits a little counter in your head that's like new, 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 new. I bet if I refresh it again, there's something new. See, our brains are so addicted to new things, they actively filter out anything that's not new. Here's how you test this, all right? You can test this for yourself scientifically. Walk into a Starbucks. I don't care if you like coffee or not, just walk into a Starbucks. What do you smell when you walk into a Starbucks? Coffee. But 15 minutes later, you don't smell the coffee anymore, right? That's because your brain is actively working to filter that out. Guess what? This happens in churches all the time. Constantly. New people will show up here and they'll say to me, oh, pastor, we just love this church. At our last church, we just weren't being fed. And internally, what I do is I hear that and I think, okay, so two or three years and you'll be bored with us and you'll move on again. Now look, I can't promise the sermons are going to get any better. But they're not going to get worse, all right? The food doesn't change, you change. You stop smelling the coffee. So we mistake novelty for growth. The second blunder we make is similar. We mistake knowledge for growth. We mistake knowledge for growth. One of the most common mistakes in our way in the church is to think that knowing more is what makes you a good Christian. If you just knew more things, then you would be a good Christian. Before I go on, we're all friends here, right? That was not convincing even a little bit. Are we friends here? Okay, thank you. As your friend, I'm going to push you some today, okay? I talk to people all the time, and they say, uh, they, you know, they've been Christians for a long time, and they say to me, man, don't give me the milk. I want the meat. I'm a meat eater. Now, hear me on this. The information that you consume is not what makes you mature. The information that you consume is not what makes you mature. 
we have a, a great pediatrician. And one of the things that most surprised me uh, about raising kids is how soon you can give kids meat. Uh, my youngest, Isaac, was eight months old, and the pediatrician said, yeah, he's, he's ready for steak. I thought, he doesn't have teeth yet. <laughs> he said, well, you just cut it up into really small pieces, smaller than a Cheerio, so he can't choke. Put a few of them on his tray. He'll get him a, a, you know, one or two of them into his mouth. He'll eat them, and he'll eat steak, and he'll just numb it to death. Really? So we tried it, and guess what? It went exactly like he said. I, put it on, I cut up some of my steak. I put it on his tray. He eventually got it into his mouth. He ate the steak. I was so proud. I was like, that's my boy. A meat eater. He's a man. The next morning, Isaac and I had breakfast together. So I made his little baby oatmeal, and I mashed up with the banana with the fork, and I mixed it into the oatmeal, and I'm spooning it in his, his mouth. And in between bites, I'm making my own breakfast, which is oatmeal. And I slice in a banana, and I'm spooning it into my own mouth, right? And it's like, some for you and some for me. And it hit me that what my eight-month-old was eating was not different from what I was eating. I eat steak, he eats steak. I eat oatmeal, he eats oatmeal. The difference between me and a baby isn't what we're eating, it's how we're eating. See, the baby can't make food for himself. He can't feed himself. Because I'm a nerd, I charted this out, okay? So here's, here's what we got. This is the most Micah Oder part of the sermon. Right here. There we go. So on the top, I got make it yourself, and on the side here, I got feed yourself, all right? If someone else cooks for you, and they, they feed it to you, right here, so they cook for you and they feed it to you, you are an infant, all right? But if they cook for you and you can feed yourself, then you've moved up to child. If you can make it yourself and feed yourself, you are an adult. And if you make it yourself, but you feed someone else, then you're a parent. It's a simple way to think about regular growth, physical growth, but also spiritual growth. See, friends, I get nervous when I talk to people that are just flat out convinced that they are ready for the meat, but then they still want somebody to spoon feed it to them. I need you to understand this. It is 100% possible to be very demanding and picky about the food that you eat while not actually being spiritually mature. I actually have a video of that right here. This is what that looks like. Very demanding about the food we eat, not actually mature enough to feed it to ourselves, right? Yikes. When we believe that novelty is growth or when we believe that knowledge is growth, we trap ourselves in two destructive patterns. Here they are. The first pattern is this. I must be a good Christian because I know a lot. And the second pattern is the opposite of it. I can't be a good Christian because I don't know enough. I must be good because I know stuff or I can't be good because I don't know stuff. And if you did really well in school, it's tempting to believe the first one. And if you didn't do well in school, it's tempting to believe the second one. But both of these are wrong. And I think that both of these things are trapping people in our church preventing them from moving forward in actually pursuing Jesus well. There's a passage of Scripture that really illustrates this. It's uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there now. 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. Now one of the cool things about the Bible is that even though God inspired all of it, he didn't dictate it. 
There's real differences between the authors and uh, the way they communicate. So Luke is a doctor and a historian, right? And so everything's by the numbers for Luke. And the Apostle John was like a dreamer, right? And he loves big ideas and metaphors. But Peter's a tradesman. He's a fisherman. His letters don't use a lot of clever words, big metaphors. Even his grammar isn't actually very good. Uh, Mostly, he's just straight to the point. You need to do this and this and this and this. So here's what he says. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Jesus has given us everything we need to follow him. Through these things, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a fascinating phrase to end on. These qualities are important, and if you have them, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective at what? At knowing Jesus Christ. Not knowing about him, not knowing facts about him, but knowing him personally. See, that's the goal. Not just to be super Christian, but to know Christ. Do you remember the four phases we talked about earlier? What were they? We're exploring. We're exploring Christ. We're growing in Christ. We're close to Christ. We are Christ-centered. So here's a good description of people who have grown up, grown close to Christ, who have moved from a childlike faith, childish faith, I should say, to an adult faith. They're eager to be identified as Christians. They're passionate about growing in their faith. They're willing to take on responsibility for their own maturing relationships with Christ. These individuals are integrating their faith into their lives in a holistic way. Rather than keeping their beliefs and their lifestyles separate, they have begun identifying themselves in the significant and primary ways as followers of Jesus Christ. But does that mean they feel that they've arrived in their journey to faith? Not at all. See, following Jesus is not an event that happens once a week. It's not sharing inspirational quotes on cool backgrounds on your social media wall, all right? It's not voting for the right political party or having the right friends. Following Jesus means we are dying to ourselves and putting him first. Growing up in our faith means that we are beginning to take ownership of our own spiritual lives and not waiting for somebody else to spoon feed us. Now, if David was up here, he'd say, I'm telling you, People want upside results, but they got downside habits. My DV is always a little more country than the real DV, all right? So I'm aware. So here's here's something else from the survey results, right? We got these practices. Here's how it looks to me. Our church is really strong down here. This bottom line that's the farthest to the right is faith in action. We're really strong in faith in action. Our church is good at that, which is awesome. 
And we're pretty good at beliefs and virtues. Our beliefs and our virtues tend to be in pretty good shape, but where we kind of lag behind is in our practices. We're average, not terrible, but it's not as strong as some of the others. We don't always have the habits that help us move into maturity. So good intentions are good, all right? But consistency is what separates the men from the boys. What this graph says to me is that we as a church haven't always emphasized the importance of godly habits. So expect to hear a lot more about this in 2020, okay? Now, ladies, can I talk to the men for a minute? I'm gonna take that as a yes. Fellas, what does it mean to be a man? To be a real man? This is not a rabbit trail, I promise. What's the opposite of man? Here, we're going to do some audience participation, all right? I'm going to say one, two, three. I'm going to say man and, and you tell me the opposite of man, all right? One, two, and everybody can do this. Everybody can do this, all right? I, want to, I need to put some more coffee out there. All right. One, two, three. Man and I heard a couple different things, but the, most, the thing I heard most of was woman, right? Which is what I expected, because that's how our society sees everything, right? In America, everything is packaged as a, gender con- as a gender conflict. But that's not the case in the early church. The opposite of man in the first century church, in the first century period, is not woman, it's child. It's boy. The opposite of man is child. The essence of manliness is not avoiding womanly things, it's avoiding childish things. Here's what Paul says, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He goes on, he says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I'm not worried about guys who don't like sports or trucks or camo or beer. I'm worried about guys that spend their whole day at home playing Xbox and are expecting somebody else to feed them and clothe them and pack them a lunch, okay? Now ladies, some of you are out here going, testify, right? You're next. None of this is limited to the men in our culture. Everything I'm saying here applies to you too, all right? Ladies, I don't want you to be a girl. I want you to be a woman. Be a lady. Now, I've been, I've been beating you up on this, but you know who's really bad about this? It's me. I'm tired. I get home from a long day. I don't want to fold my clothes. I don't want to do dishes. And I do the same thing spiritually, right? Like, I'm tired, I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't really want to spend time right now reading my Bible. I mean, I read it a lot to prep for the sermon, but that should totally count as my quiet time, right? I can be such a child. And sometimes I look at my life and I think, this is not what I want my, my children to see. This is not what I want my children to emulate. See, my kids are 12, 10, and 5. And you know what my hope is for them 10, 20 years from now? It's not that they're going to be doctors or lawyers or executives. I want them to be adults. 
both physically and spiritually, right? I want them to be adults. What I want for them is what I want for you. This is what I want. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So let's take it apart, all right? Be watchful. Basically, pay attention. Don't sleepwalk through your life. Get up, go to work, come home, watch Netflix, watch HGTV, go to bed, get up, go to work, you get to the weekend, maybe you go out to eat, and then it's 10 years later. You've got one life. And I'm not saying we need to spend it backpacking through Europe, okay? But stay awake to what God is doing in you and the world around you. What is God doing on your street? What is God doing at your work? What is God doing in your house? Be watchful. The second thing is stand firm. Don't fall away. Don't be blown around by every single thing that comes through your life. Sometimes life is going to be really hard. Jesus says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You don't get to choose what storm comes your way. But he promises that if he is our foundation, that we can stand firm. This next phrase, act like men. And the funny thing is that Paul doesn't say this to the men. He says this to the whole church. And if you want to call this act like a grown-up, I'm fine with it, all right? Actually, technically, uh, the Greek word here means basically be brave, which was seen by the Romans as a masculine virtue. Ladies, if that's offensive to you or if somebody tries to use that against you, email me and I'll give you a list, a whole list of the Roman feminine virtues that Paul tells the men to have, okay? He's an equal opportunity offender. He goes after everybody. But life can be scary, so you need to be brave. You gotta be strong. Dave Ramsey says, children do what feel good. Children do what feels good, but adults make a plan to follow it. Have the strength to follow through, to do the hard thing, to take the difficult but rewarding path over the easy one that goes nowhere. And the last thing, do it in love. This is the key. What we do matters, why we do it matters even more. Do I need to say more about this? All right. God calls us to be people marked by an overwhelming love. He calls us to love strangers. Worse than that, he calls us to love our family, which is sometimes very difficult. Thanksgiving's coming up, right? He calls us to love our enemies. He calls us to love those who want to harm us. He calls us to love our political, uh, our political opponents. Earlier in this letter, he says, if you have perfect theology and you know all kinds of stuff, But if you don't have love, you're like a loud and useless noise. Okay, we're almost done. Let me give you two caveats before we finish, all right? This week, I read every single time the word child, infant, young, baby, youth, man, adult, anything like that was used in the New Testament. And everything we've talked about today is in there. But I kept thinking about a time when Jesus called the little children to himself. You guys remember this story? He said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like a child. And I thought, I'm telling people to stop being like children. Like, am I messing this whole thing up? It really disturbed me quite a lot, actually. I spent a lot of time thinking about it this week. Here's how I squared that circle. I want you to stop being childish, but never stop being childlike. I want you to stop being childish, but don't ever stop being childlike. I think that God loves 
our childlike wonder, our childlike trust in him, our childlike faith that he is who he said he is and he will do what he promised to do. It is so easy to be cynical and jaded and miss how amazing a God we have and how amazing the world is that he has made. Stop being childish, but don't stop being childlike. But the biggest thing that struck me this week uh, is how often we, in in the Bible, in the New Testament, how often we are referred to as the children of God. The children of God. Every New Testament author uses this phrase. The children of God. What, is it, what does it mean to be God's child? I have a 12-year-old. She has grown up so fast. She's taller than like almost anybody in this room at 12. Uh, and she wants so badly to be a grown-up, right? She just wants to grow up so fast. And I want her to grow up too, eventually, right? Not necessarily right now, but like eventually I want her to be a grown-up. But even when she is, she is always gonna be my baby girl. And I think that's how God sees us. He wants you to grow up. But you're always gonna be his child. You're always gonna be his little boy. You're always gonna be his little girl. You will always be his beloved child that he loves literally more than life itself. Never forget that no matter where you're at on this this grid, graph, bar chart. Never forget that no matter where you're at, that you have a heavenly Father who loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good and you love us so much and we're so sorry for the times that we have refused to grow up. Father, I pray that you would call us to to follow you better, to mature in our faith and in our life, to be adults, to be men and women who are your beloved children. Father, we pray that you would lead us well in our next steps. In your name we pray, amen. All right. If your next step is to get to know somebody, I'd love it if you'd head right over here and, uh, and meet our, somebody from our team for the three after. If your next step is you feel like, man, I just need somebody to pray with me, our prayer teams are gonna be down front and uh, they would love to pray with you. But for everybody else, let me close our time together the way Peter closed his letter, all right? This is what he wrote to them and this is what I'm gonna say to you as a benediction. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever, amen. God bless you. See you next week. Hey guys, so glad that you joined us online today. Keep in touch in the future. Again, you can text the word new to the number on the screen or pray to the number on the screen and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.